Hello and welcome in to the Floor Slap Podcast, everyone. As always, I'm your host, Sean, and we're coming off of what I think was one of the most highly anticipated weekends of college football we've had in quite some time with a lot of great conference and non-conference matchups across the country. Um, so we're going to be recapping week four to kick things off, as we always do, uh, from the Big Ten standpoint. You know, we had huge wins from Ohio State, Penn State, and even Northwestern getting their first uh, Big Ten win of the season. Uh, but then kind of a dark cloud hanging over teams like Iowa and Minnesota and Indiana and Purdue. So we're going to recap all the action from week four, um, give out some helmet stickers, game of the week, team of the week. Then I'm going to give uh, my two cents on the Heisman race. We haven't really touched on the Heisman yet. Um, And then that'll take us into previewing uh, another great week five of college football. So a busy episode ahead of us. So let's dive right into it. This is the Floor Slap Podcast. So to kick things off in this week's episode, I'm going to start with what was the biggest conference matchup of week four, and that was Penn State hosting Iowa uh, in the whiteout. Um, Penn State was 14 and a half point favorites in the game, but a lot of people were expecting a close defensive matchup. Um, You know, Penn State and Iowa are two teams that have historically played each other really tight. Um, In fact, one of my locks last week was Iowa plus 14 and a half, and I explained just how traditionally how close this game um, tends to be. And boy, was I wrong because Penn State just whooped them. Um, And a lot of that did have to do with, uh, again, Iowa's offensive ineptitude, and we'll get into what this means for Iowa. But um, what the 31-0 win meant for Penn State, um, I think they've cemented themselves as a top-five team in the country with that statement. Um, And honestly, Penn State just looks like an utterly complete team. Um, And honestly, I'm looking at them. I've watched every game of theirs so far. um, And it's really hard for me to identify a weakness of theirs. Um, Drew Aller has, I think he has one of the biggest arms in the entire country, but Penn State really isn't asking him to do too much. Um, they're not asking him to, you know, drop dimes 30 yards downfield and, um, throw the ball 50 times a game. Um, they're really mainly asking him to just take care of the ball, manage the game for the most part, and make a few big plays with the game, um, with your arm, uh, throughout the game. So against Iowa, he only had four and a half yards per attempt. Um, but honestly, he didn't take many deep shots. I think the game script, game script for Penn State didn't really um, mandate him to you know, go out and you know sling the ball. Uh, he did have a really great throw on fourth down uh, in the second quarter to take a 10-0 lead. He also had another great throw on third and goal um, to make it 24-0. He had four, tur- four touchdowns on the day. He didn't have a tur- any turnovers once again. Um, and in fact, Penn State's the only team in the entire country to not turn the ball over yet. Um, again, what I mean by just a really complete team with no obvious weaknesses uh, through four games so far. Um, I guess one downside, if you really want to pick hairs, is that their run game really doesn't look quite as explosive as it uh, as it did last year. Um, and four weeks into the season last year, Penn State was already starting to hum on the ground. I think that uh, week three game last year against Auburn is where their run game really started to explode. And we still really haven't seen it. Neither, I mean, Catron Allen and Nick Singleton, you know, they, you know, they're great backs. They, you know, usually tend to get positive yards when they touch the ball, but we haven't seen any really big game breaking plays from them. Um, not, not a ton of explosive plays in the run game, but, um, I, I think it's kind of looking like maybe this offensive line hasn't made another jump like they did from 2021 to 2022. I think last year they were easily the most improved offensive line in the entire country. And with a lot of returners coming back, um, especially with their potential first round left tackle or surefire first round left tackle, um, I think 
my, a lot of people, myself included, were expecting Penn State's offensive line to take another big jump this season. Um, and they haven't quite done that, but I mean, they're still a solid offensive line. They're still one of the better rushing teams in the Big Ten. And I think as Drew Aller continues to take care of the ball and show the poise that he has through the first four games, you know, he's, this was, um, you know, I think playing in front of the whiteout can sometimes be uh, just as hard on, you know, a first first time starting quarterback um, for Penn State as it is the road team. You know, just 110,000 fans screaming and all the expectations of the world on your shoulders. So um, but he shows po- he's has shown poise um, in all four of his games. And so I think if he continues to keep taking care of the ball and the defense continues to play the way it has, which, by the way, has been lights out holding Iowa to 76 total yards. Um, you know, I'm going to give a helmet sticker later in the episode, which will recap really just how utterly dominant they were in that game. But like I said, Drew Allen keeps taking care of the ball and the defense keeps playing this way. The run game doesn't have to be like it was last year. Um, and honestly, the way Penn State's defense is playing, it seems like they only need to score 20 points against maybe anyone in the country in order to beat them. Um, but it will be really fascinating moving forward to see how this offensive line holds up against Michigan and Ohio State's fronts, because um, that's really where they fell apart last year, especially against Michigan. Um, you know, they just weren't able to run the ball. And on the flip side, Michigan really imposed their will on the line of scrimmage uh, offensively. So um, I, th- I guess you could say their offensive line and you know how they improve throughout the year is their biggest question mark. Can their run game get back to close to what it was last year? But um, they look like a complete team, and I think they're the gap between Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan in the East right now is so razor thin. Um, Penn State definitely has an argument to be made to be you know the number one team uh, in the Big Ten, and honestly, there's an argument for them to be number one in the country. Um, I think the top ten right now is so close nationally. Um, it's really fascinating, and I've been saying all year long how just close this year is in college football. There's no great teams, uh, or like, I guess elite teams, but there's a lot of great teams. Um, so it should make this year a lot of fun, and you know, Penn State is off to a great start, so I can't wait to see what else we see from them this season. It was a great win for them. But now to the flip side of that game. Um, and there's actually three teams in particular that I want to talk about, just kind of some bad news for them. I think there's three teams that really need to face the music. Um, as I'll call it, as far as their head coaches go. And I'm going to start off with Iowa and Kirk Ferentz. Oh, I guess I can start off with his son, Brian Ferentz, because, um, yeah, I guess, to be fair, Iowa did play a much better team. Uh, that was evident from the get-go. They never really had a chance to win. Um, and you know what? Their defense kept him in it. It was 10 nothing at halftime, um, and it was really that opening drive to start the third quarter uh, that Penn State really took control of that game and, and ran away with it. Um but that being said, the, the level of pure ineptitude and inability to do anything offensively was alarming. Granted, that this is one of the best defenses in, in college football. Um, we knew that going in, and that was only reconfirmed. But Cade McNamara, I mean, he this, this guy led Michigan to the college football playoff two years ago. He was supposed to be a tremendous improvement at quarterback over Spencer Petras. Um, they returned essentially their entire offensive line from last year. Um, and despite that... They are averaging fewer yards and fewer points than they were uh, through last year at this point. Let me repeat that. Through four weeks last year, they were averaging more points and more yards per game than they are this year. Um, and that's, I just, there's no excuse for that whatsoever because I refuse to believe that there isn't talent on this Iowa team. Um, Caleb Brown from Ohio State, you know, he's only a redshirt freshman, um, but he's a crazy, crazy athlete. He's got burner speed and he hasn't touched the ball for Iowa. 
Um, they have a really good running back room with Caleb Williams, LaShawn Williams, Jazzy and Patterson. Um, and there's just uh, the run game has been, been stagnant. The offense is predictable. Um, and really, there's just no innovation. There's no effort to get playmakers in space. There's no different looks. Um, it's a predictable offense that honestly is trying to play like their 2012 Alabama. Just ground and pound, take care of the ball, um, you know, sit on the clock, and you know, let your defense and offensive line maul opposing teams. But the difference is, I mean, Iowa does not have the athletes that 2012 Alabama had. They do not have Nick Saban as their head coach, and they don't have that dominance along the line of scrimmage. You know, this defense is good. It's not great. They're not really getting after quarterbacks. Um, and it's a, you know, a middling defense in the Big Ten that is granted full of great defenses, but this is now nowhere, cl- nowhere close to the level of defense Iowa had last year. Um, so I- a lot of this does fall on Brian Ferentz. I think he needs to be fired yesterday. Um, there's really no excuse for him to still be, be employed. Um, I firmly believe this offense would be just as effective if you had like a Madden simulation calling the plays. But um, instead, there's some nepotism, I think, clearly going on um, in Iowa. And I think for that, you really have to look at Kirk Ferentz. Um, I don't know why he still has this blind faith in his son who has continually proved that he is not an effective college football offensive coordinator at the highest level of college football. Um, you know, college football is changing, not only, you know, with the conferences realigning and Iowa's schedule only getting diff- more, only getting more difficult um, coming up. But, you know, it's proven you cannot win on defense alone in major college football anymore. You need to be able to score points. And there just seems to be a refusal on Kirk Ferentz's part to, to do anything to help innovate Iowa's football program. Um, you know, because even if Iowa managed to somehow win nine or ten this nine or ten games this year, which, you know, is possible considering how bad the Big Ten West is, but also seems like, you know, kind of a stretch considering how poorly Iowa has played uh, to start this year. Um, But even if Iowa somehow salvages the season, wins nine or ten games, um, I think it's clear this program is heading in the reverse and is no, no longer capable of hanging with the best teams in the Big Ten, you know, Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan. Because believe it or not, it wasn't that long ago. Um, in 2017, Iowa blew the doors off of Ohio State at home. Um, like I said, they continuously played Penn State really close, um, and they could hold their own against Michigan. It wasn't that long ago that you know Penn or Iowa playing any of those three teams was a game you wanted to watch on Saturday, um, and that's just not the case anymore. You know. Iowa staying within two possessions of any of those teams seems like a pipe dream, and something needs to change for Iowa. I mean, it starts with Brian Ferentz walking out the door, but if Kirk Ferentz just keeps running the program the same way he has uh, for the past five years, it might be time for Iowa to start looking elsewhere, because I think someone has to sit Kirk Ferentz down and be like, listen, it's not 1975 anymore. The best teams in college football are not rolling out eye formations and, you know, wishbone or different variations of a ground and pound, three yards and a cloud of dust, uh, type offensive scheme anymore for a team that has you know big 10 title aspirations for a team that was honestly thinking about the playoff this season and then for a team that when the playoff expands to 12 teams um i know the iowa fan base is expecting to be in that playoff conversation every single year and for a team that's at that level that's expecting to win you know nine ten games a year in what will be the best conference in the country when it expands next year um you have to be able to score 30 points a game. Otherwise, you know, those those goals, you can just throw them out the window. So, you know, someone has to sit Kirk Ferentz down and be like, make changes to this offense or you're gone. Because, you know, Iowa, you know, they're not Illinois. Um, they're not 
even Minnesota. I I hold Iowa to a different standard, and I honestly think that Iowa would be able to go out and get a halfway decent coach, um, or at least someone who's willing to innovate on the on the offensive side of the ball and bring a different dynamic to this team. Um, you know, I'm not saying Iowa has to clean house, but but something has to change there because um, these past couple of years have made it abundantly clear that this program is heading in the right direction, and they're going to left be left behind uh, next season if they don't make some sort of investment into their offense. And I think one of the biggest examples of how Iowa just underutilizes its talent on the offensive side of the ball is Charlie Jones. Uh, I've talked about it in the offseason a little bit, just about illustrating how Iowa needs to you know, innovate on the offensive side of the ball and use its weapons more. Uh, Charlie Jones was an All-American receiver for Purdue last year. He caught something like 120 passes. He's with the Bengals now, having a pretty good uh, rookie season. Um, and believe it or not, he, that was his first season with Purdue, uh, when he broke out, um, and led the big 10 in receiving and catches. He was at Iowa for three years before that. And I don't have the stats in front of me. He caught something like 15 balls, his career at Iowa. I think that just goes to show you that there, there is an always has been, there is, and there will be talent on Iowa. And it's just a failure of the coaching staff to get the ball in playmakers hands and, um, you know, do anything other than just run a, you know, predictable, boring, vanilla offense. Um, so yeah, something's got to change there. Um, it's time to Iowa to face the music and have a tough conversation with Kirk Ferentz. Another school that I think has to have a, a similar conversation to their head coach is Minnesota. Uh, they blew a 21 point lead late in the third quarter against Northwestern. Um, you know, hapless Northwestern Wildcats, who essentially everyone and their mother wasn't picking to win a single Big Ten game this year, given what happened um, in the fallout with Pat Fitzgerald. Uh, Minnesota was outgained by 100 yards in that game. Um, and part of the problem is Ethan Kalik Manis. I've talked about it, um, you know, before on this podcast, uh, that he's just not a playmaker. He's got some, uh, he's got some talent in that arm. He can throw it a country mile, but he's just not accurate. He's not a playmaker and they can't move the ball consistently with his arm. Um, but this offense, like I said with Iowa, this offense is way too predictable. And if it wasn't for the discovery of this true freshman Darius Taylor, who's third in the country with rushing guards, despite having only one carry in their opener against Nebraska. Um, I mean, he's an absolute stud. He is their entire offense right now. Um, but if it wasn't for him, this offense would probably be at Iowa's level. If they were just relying on Sean Tyler, the West, big Western Michigan, um, you know, pick up, pick up, they got it running back out of the transfer portal. You know, he was supposed to revive this run game. He hasn't done anything. So if it wasn't for Darius Taylor, I'm telling you, Minnesota's offense would be just as bad, if not worse, than Iowa's offense. Um, but I think the biggest problem is with their defense. Through the first couple of weeks, I thought that this, um, you know, defense was one of the better defenses in the Big Ten and one of the better pass defenses in the Big Ten, um, in particular. Um, but they got diced up by Ben Bryant. Um, first of all, all the credit in the world to Northwestern for not giving up. They showed tremendous resolve. Ben Bryant played tremendously in the fourth quarter, um, and he showed kind of that, that veteran poise that you expected out of him uh, transferring from Duke. Um, but his previous best on the season so far was 169 yards, and that was in the opener against Rutgers. Uh, and Ben Bryant torched him. He went 33 for 49 for 396 yards and four touchdowns. Um, so I know the majority of Minnesota fans still love PJ Fleck. They will ride or die with him all day. Um, but you know, to, to his credit, he's kept Minnesota very relevant. Um, he's recruited pretty well, but it seems like Minnesota every single season has at least one game like this where Minnesota just has no business losing and they just show up flat and it's become a real problem. And I think the big 10 West is, 
has been mediocre PJ Flex entire tenure at Minnesota. Um, and he has yet to win that division. He couldn't last year with a six-year starting quarterback and one of the best running backs in school history and one of the best defenses in the Big Ten. Um, and this we, this year, Big Ten West is just as bad, if not maybe worse than last year. And I, I, he may already be out of it um, with with his loss to, to Northwestern. Um, and if he hasn't been able to win the West, not even once in his tenure, how can Minnesota expect to stay relevant in 2024 and beyond? Like, how can they expect to hang with USC and Oregon and Washington when they show up to this conference? Um, you know, on the contrary to Iowa, I'm not sure Minnesota could go out and find a better option than PJ Fleck. And I'm not saying that he um, needs to be put on the hot seat and that he needs to turn the season around or he should be gone or anything like that. But, you know, someone needs to sit him down like they did with, uh, with like they should with Kirk Ferentz and have a tough conversation about what this expectations are for this program. Um, because losing to this Northwestern team uh, should not have been on the table. This is a, as bad of a loss as Minnesota has had um, really going. I mean, Going back before Gary Kill, um, when he was Jerry Kill, when he was the the head coach, um, this is a really, really, really bad loss, um, and someone needs to light a fire under him because um, that seems to have gone missing, in my opinion. So, I mean, Minnesota's season is not over by any means, but um, it just seems to be getting worse, and they don't seem to be improving week to week. They seems to be they seem to be taking a step back. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Minnesota can respond from such a gut-wrenching loss if, you know, this spirals their season or, you know, if they can show some resolve and get things back on track. But, um, man, I mean, I just, it's hard, it's, it's hard to defend PJ Fleck after a game like that. That's for sure. And the last school that I think has to kind of face the music when it comes to their head coach is Indiana. Um, cause Indiana got thoroughly outplayed by Akron at home under the lights in their blackout game. Um, you know, Tom Allen is supposed to be a defensive coach. That's supposed to be his kind of calling card. And to start the season, it looked like he kind of had worked magic with his uh, Indiana defense. Um, Aaron Casey had looked like one of the nation's best linebackers, not just Big Ten. He looked like one of the best linebackers in the nation. He still does um, to an extent. They added a litany of transfer additions throughout every level of that defense, a ton of new faces. Um, and they had looked pretty solid in the, uh, to start the season. Um, but against Akron, they gave up 263 rush yards at over six and a half yards per carry again against Akron. And this isn't like a, Oh, sneaky Akron team. Are they going to have a, one of their better seasons in program history? No, this is an Akron team that lost to temple in the opener. Remember the temple team that got throttled by Rutgers. They barely beat Morgan state, who is a one in three FCS team. And they got throttled by Kentucky, Kentucky nearly shut out. Um, this is not a good team, flat out, and Indiana should have lost. Um, like, it's not even a question. They were lucky to, to pull that out, and, you know, Tom Allen was, was celebrating with his team in the locker room, you know, talking about the resolve they had and, you know, what a you know, tough group of kids. No, that's not what this is about. If they had pulled out a win like that that had no business um, winning against a conference opponent, sure, yeah, go off and celebrate. Um, this was a, a game that Indiana should have won by three possessions, and they didn't. Um, and, you know, despite what I think is still a good group of offensive skill position players, um, the offense still still looks like a mess. You know, Taven Jackson has talent, but looks utterly lost. Their offensive line is bad, um, and their defense was supposed to be their saving grace. It was supposed to be their calling card, and they laid an egg. And once again, Indiana is staring down the barrel of a dismal season. 2-10, two they're 2-2 two two right now. A 2-10 two uh, season is certainly on the table. Um, 
and I, I have a hard time seeing how Tom Allen makes it through uh, the end of the season. It really seems like he's just been riding that high from the COVID season, uh, which, you know, as we get further from it, it just, you know, we look back at that season and just it makes less and less sense. The teams that were good that season. Um, but he's been riding that high from uh, the COVID season, and it's definitely expired by now. I know Indiana fans are getting sick of Tom Allen, um, and it's hard for me to look at their schedule and and see another win on their schedule. Um, they're certainly not making it to a bowl game, which was every Hoosiers fan. I mean, Hoosiers hope coming into this season. A lot of Hoosier fans thought that they were going to surprise some people, um, and that doesn't see- seem to be the case at all. Um you know, I liked what I saw out of them out of Louisville. I don't know if they just overlooked this, you know, this Akron team and, you know, maybe they can get back on track. But um, as far as a win goes, it was the most dismal win you could possibly have. Um, so, again, I mean, I don't even know if someone should bother having a conversation with Tom Allen about, you know, what what he needs to do in Indiana because I think he's out the door. I said it coming into the season. I didn't think Tom Allen would make it to the end of the year. He gave me some hope the first three weeks, but... Um, I, I think that was the nail in the coffin. I don't see how this Indiana team can, you know, compete with the the rest of the Big Ten East. Um, it's a it's a disappointment, and I, I feel bad for Hoosier fans. I feel like they deserve at least a, a competitive football team. Uh, but I think Indiana's best option would be to let Tom Allen go. Um, you know, pray that you hold on to Taven Jackson because I do think he has some talent, and try to bring bring in an offensive minded coaching staff, someone that you know has proven to be able to develop quarterbacks and. Um, I think that's Indiana's best best chance of becoming relevant again is, you know, you can give up some points, but, um, you know, try to be a, a team that, you know, beats you in a track meet. Um, but yeah, I haven't liked what I've seen out of Tom Allen in quite some time, and I, I think it's about time that uh, he leaves Indiana. And next, I want to switch to Purdue. Um, they hosted Wisconsin Friday night, lost 38-17. to um, You know, kind of made it close there in that third quarter, but they were really dominated from the get-go. Um, never really felt like they had a chance of getting back into that game. And now Purdue, in Ryan Walter's first season, is sitting at 1-3. and three, And I know a lot of Boilermaker fans are, are feeling frustrated with Ryan Walter's um, you know, I think a lot of them had a lot of hype going into this season and, you know, their first couple games, a really tight win again, a tight loss against a good Fresno state team. Um, and then a big win on the road against Virginia tech, I think definitely gave Boilermakers fans some, some hope for this season. And it just kind of crumbled so far. And, you know, now they have wins against, uh, I'm sorry, games against Illinois and Iowa coming up. And now all of a sudden one in five is, uh, is looking realistic for a start. Um, but I'm not going to, you know, have the same conversation uh, about Ryan Walters as I just did about Kirk Ferentz, PJ Fleck, and Tom Allen. Um, I think patience is needed for Ryan Walters, and I think he's earned that based off of you know what he's done so far with Purdue. Because um, I want to remind Boilermaker fans that Purdue's last three recruiting classes ranked 13th, 9th, and 14th, or last, in the Big Ten. Um, this wasn't a very talented roster to begin with, and they lost a good chunk of talent in the portal uh, this offseason when Jeff Brom left, including their best offensive lineman. Um, and they're also given an impossibly difficult schedule to start the season. Um, I know I mentioned those two games uh, to start Fresno State and Virginia Tech, but, you know, Syracuse, um, that's a really good team this year. Uh, Wisconsin, obviously, best in the Big we- Big Ten West. Um, and then it goes Illinois, Iowa, Ohio State, and then at Nebraska, at Michigan. 
Um, there are th- three easiest games, really, of the season uh, come at the very end, Minnesota, Northwestern, and Indiana. They can definitely finish the season 3-0, but, God, the schedule they are handed this season was just brutal. And so I think any Purdue fan um, that was, you know, expecting a season, I mean, expecting a better start than even 2-2 two and two was not being very realistic. 1-3 um, and three is very disappointing, but anything more than 2-2 two and two to start, I think, w- was outside of reasonable expectations. And you also have to remember they have an entirely new coaching staff. They're implementing a new offense and a new defense with a young quarterback who's new to the program. I just they add there's just so much changing um, for Purdue. It's I had him going six and six this season, and I felt a little that might have been a little optimistic. Um, six and six is still on the table. Like I mentioned, they have those um, you know three supposed wins to finish the season, and if they can pick up two, maybe against you know. Illinois, Iowa, or Nebraska win two of those three games. That's how they get to a bowl game. It's definitely on the table. Um, but it was, I mean, hiring Ryan Walters was not about this season. It was about him building something more and building a winning culture at Purdue. I mean, Ryan Walters is still hot in the recruiting trail. Um, Purdue's recruiting class right now is eighth in the Big Ten. Um, out of eight team, 18 teams now. So it's not, they're in the top half of the Big Ten in recruiting. Um, and they're on the heels of Nebraska and Wisconsin to move up as high as sixth. They have four four-star recruits. I think Hudson Card could stick to, stick around for another couple seasons and develop into a really really nice quarterback. Um, and you know they got they got some nice skill position players coming in, and I think Devin Mockaby will stick around um, for one maybe two more years as well. So. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, a reminder that this is a very unique defense that they run. Um, you know, it requires Walters to have his players. I mean, his kind of players. He wants a lot of size along that defensive front. He wants, you know, massive defensive linemen who can eat up tackles and then powerful linebackers who um, have the athleticism to set the edge, but also the strength to rush the passer. And then he wants athletic defensive backs who can play zone, but also match up man to man against receivers, running backs, and tight ends. Um, it's a very demanding defense, but when he has his players like he did at in, um, at Illinois, it can be a great defense. Um, and I just don't think Purdue right now has the personnel to success, successfully operate it. Like I mentioned, I mean, they have a few great players like Kidron Jenkins um, and Cam Allen in the back end. But, you know, this from top to bottom, Purdue does not have a very talented roster. So I know one and three isn't a fun start. Um, and like I said, now hosting Illinois and traveling to Iowa these next two weeks, one and five is certainly on the table. But, you know, the Ryan Walters hire wasn't about this season. It wasn't about how do we win the Big Ten West in 2023. It was about implementing a culture and building a roster, um, and I think Purdue will get there. I really, I still love what I've seen and heard out of Ryan Walters. I know that all the players still have his back despite this rocky start. Um, I think Purdue will get to where they want to be. I think they're one of the few Big Ten West teams who can be a real player in the new look Big Ten, um, but Ryan Walters deserves some patience while he builds these things so i know purdue fans are probably a little frustrated with how the season has started but um you know i think getting to a bowl game is still on the table if they accomplish that i think this would be a great season for purdue and um you know i'm more excited to see what we see out of purdue in 2024 and 2025 uh than i am this year so ryan walters deserves patience that's for sure and the last thing I want to talk about before getting into week four superlatives is really just a, a tip of the cap to Northwestern and David Braun getting that 37-34 win against Minnesota. And you could just tell, I mean, how much that meant to the players, getting that monkey off their back, getting a conference win. They're now 2-2. Two and two. 
um, having won as many games as a lot of people thought they would win all season long. Um, and I just love David Braun. I mean, he was thrust into such a horrible situation, taking over uh, as head coach in replace of Pat Fitzgerald and arguably the toughest place to win in the Power Five. Um, and there were zero expectations coming in. The school really did a horrible job of, you know, of backing him and, and sticking up for its program and its players. Um, and it really fell all on David Braun. And, and you know, he took it all in stride. Um, I think he said all the right things. And coming into the season, it definitely looked tough for that 24-7 loss to start the season against Rutgers. But now looking at that game, I think considering all the dismay that Northwestern had to deal with coming into the season, meanwhile, Rutgers had a lot of momentum coming into this year, and um, they're a much better team than a lot of people anticipated. So again, traveling to Rutgers for that game, a great defense with a new quarterback, um, definitely a tough ask for them. But you know they recovered, beat UTEP as a home underdog 38-7. to They showed some fight against Duke um, on the road, a really good Duke team this year. Uh, trailed only 10 in the, by 10 in the third quarter, and they just didn't have enough firepower to keep up with Riley Leonard in that offense. Um, but you know now they get a conference win, a, a tremendous 21-point comeback. Um, ben Bryant looked phenomenal in that fourth quarter. I mean, Minnesota got way too conservative. It was like they started playing a prevent in the... Uh, third quarter there it is playing a soft zone kind of and Ben Bryant found the open guy every time he found the soft spot in that zone and he was like a surgeon um in their three scoring possessions it was it was really really impressive and so this is not only just a moral victory for Northwestern finally then getting that conference win um and again I mean just can't say enough about David Braun and how he has held um handled this entire situation but I, I think that a bowl game might be on the table for Northwestern. Um, like I mentioned, they're 2-2 two and two right now. They have to play Penn State this weekend, unfortunately. Um, but in their final seven games, they play Howard, Nebraska, Iowa, Purdue, and Illinois. I think those are five winnable games, and they only have to win four of them to get to a bowl game. Now, I certainly wouldn't put money on Northwestern winning four of those five games. I think Nebraska is definitely on the come up. They're going to be a tough team, um, you know, and I don't know about those other teams. I think Northwestern could certainly beat them, but um, a six and six season is suddenly on the table, and that was seems so outside the realm of possibility to start the season. So um, I'm I'm really interested to see uh, Northwestern. Granted, they're probably the team I've watched the least out of uh, the 14 Big Ten teams so far this season. So um, I'm excited to maybe see some meaningful Northwestern games this season. Um, and yeah, I mean, David Braun, I think, is also kind of maybe throwing his hat in the ring to remain Northwestern's full-time head coach. Um, you know, the way the season has started, at least, I think he's uh, certainly earned to be in that conversation. So congrats to Northwestern. Great win and hopefully not their last one of the season. So now we'll move into the week four superlatives and uh, game and team of the week are both going to go to the Ohio State Buckeyes who knocked off Notre Dame 17 to 14 in a defensive battle for the ages in South Bend. Um, Ohio State only led three nothing at halftime, but it seemed like they should have had like a 10 or 14, maybe 17 point lead. Um, I really felt like they were the better team in the first half. Notre Dame could not run the ball for the life of them. Um, they were clearly avoiding Denzel Burke. I don't even know if he was targeted that entire game. Um, I just think they knew that they didn't have a receiver that could go up, up against him. That's how much he's improved this year. Um, Davidson Ibgenosum was kind of picked on on the other side, but he only had that one penalty, a uh, pass interference. He held his own, um, didn't get a ton of pressure on Sam Hartman, but our uh, the Buckeyes' interior defensive line didn't really let Sam Hartman step up into that pocket. And then offensively for Ohio State, um, definitely kind of a slow start, but they had a few nice drives. Um, but then, you know, 
Emeka Ibuka dropped a touchdown in the end zone, had to settle for a field goal. They also got down to the one-yard line and on fourth down, um, called a quarterback bootleg to the short side of the field. Didn't really understand that call. Um, so it kind of felt like Ohio State should have been up by more. Um, but, you know, they took a 3 nothing lead, um, you know, into halftime, came out. Travion Henderson had a 65-yard touchdown run. Um, it showed off his blazing speed to take a 10-0 lead, and it kind of felt like Ohio State was about to take control. Um, but then all of a sudden, Notre Dame started be able to, being able to run the ball. I think they ran the ball for about, uh, it was like 125 yards in the second half. Um, and that really kind of opened up the offense for him. And then, um, you know, Sam Hartman ended up leading the Irish on a 97 yard touchdown drive to take the lead. He had a few really, really nice throws on that drive. And you could kind of feel once they got a couple of first downs on that drive, you could tell they were, they were scoring on that drive. There was nothing Ohio State could do to keep him out of that end zone. Um, then Ohio State responded by driving right down the field, but uh, they called a jet sweep on fourth and inches again to the short side of the field, uh, where they were outnumbered with by the defenders, turned it over, and then Notre Dame got two quick first downs right after that. And all of a sudden, we're looking at about two minutes left in the game, um, and it looks like Ohio State wasn't even going to get the ball back, but but a big tackle for loss by JT Tuimolowau, and then a batted down screen pass by JT as well that honestly should have been picked off. Um, really gave Ohio State last breath, and then um, Kyle McCord just you know showed everyone that he is him on that final drive. Um, he had four huge throws, um, two to Emeka Ibuka, one to Julian Fleming on fourth down, and another diving catch by uh, Marvin Harrison. Um, I mean, he just he saved his best pl- his best throws, his best plays for a third and fourth down, um, really all day long, and he just showed how how much grit he has and how much of a leader he is. And then when Ohio State had trouble, you know, getting in those short yard situations all day, they failed to convert on four different short yard situations. Um, they ran the ball and they got into the end zone, got that last yard they needed. Granted, Notre Dame only had 10, 10 men on the field, but Ohio State did what they had to do, um, walked it off in South Bend and got the win. And listen, I mean, it was clear that this was two evenly matched teams. Both with great defenses, both with great offensive lines, you know, great stable of running backs, um, and great quarterbacks. I mean, this was two really evenly matched teams. And I think the benefit for Ohio State is Notre Dame is built almost exactly like Michigan and Penn State. So it was a great test for them in a really hostile environment. Um, and despite how sloppy the game was, despite how easily Ohio State could have lost that game, I think that Ohio State, you know, passed their first big test of the season with flying colors. Because I came into this. Uh, game very confident that Notre Dame was one of the 10 best teams in the country and I think if you stuck Notre Dame in the Big Ten East this year um, they'd be right up there with Ohio State Michigan and Penn State they think it would be an incredibly tight four um, four team race and wouldn't be shocked at all if Notre Dame came out of the division Um, and I think defensively for Ohio State they showed an ability to get stops and get off the field when they really needed to um, and that's something they haven't been able to do the past three seasons, particularly particularly against Michigan, um, who, by the way, like I said, is built very similarly to Notre Dame. So that's why it was such a great first test for Ohio State. Um, and I love what they saw their their, their pass defense, uh, most especially. Um, like I said, Denzel Burke was avoided all day long, and Davis and Igbenosum on the other side had a really good day. Um, and they really didn't give up any big plays in the pass game. I mean, that final drive where Notre Dame went up, there were a few ridiculous throws by Sam Hartman that were almost uncoverable, I think. Um, but outside of that, they really held Sam Hartman in check. And then 
offensively for Ohio State, I loved what I saw out of their offensive line. This was a really great Notre Dame defensive front they were going up against, but they were able, consistently able to get some holes um, for those running backs. Travion Henderson had a really big day, went over 100 yards, and um, Kyle McCord, I felt like, had good time, uh, especially on that final drive. He had time to really step up um, and deliver some ropes uh, to his receivers. So, um, like I said, it wasn't pretty. Um, you knew it wasn't going to be with two great teams like this, two great defenses facing each other, but I don't think, I, I'm not certain this is a game Ohio State could have won last year. Um, they did today. Um, you know, they still have to button up a few things, and it's a good thing they have a bye week this week because I think they would be in real danger of coming out flat this week if they had to play. Um, but it was, a, it was a great win, a great team win, and uh, there's a reason I have Ohio State as my number one team in the country right now, um, and that's because I think they beat one of the best teams in the country on the road in a hostile environment. Kyle McCord, I have all the confidence in the world in Kyle McCord. They can run it when they need it to, um, and I don't see a big weakness on the defense. Um, coming into this game, I was really worried about their defensive ends getting pressure on Sam Hartman, and... Honestly, they didn't get a ton of pressure on uh, Sam Hartman. I think that's still the biggest question mark about this Ohio State team is those defensive ends, JT Tuimolowau and Nick Sawyer, uh, Jack Sawyer, um, need to start making more plays. But if you told me that Ohio State wouldn't generate very much pressure at all against Sam Hartman, um, I would have told you they, they got blown out. So the fact that their defense still played as well as they did and Ohio State got the win despite their defensive end still not really generating a lot of pressure, because um, they're still fantastic athletes. They will only get better. I mean, even if they're it's mediocre all season long, um, you know, their their performance will get better. So, um, you know, with that in mind, I, I think Ohio State easily has a top five defense in the country. Um, I would say they're the best personally, um, right up there with Penn State. And um, I just really liked what I saw out of Ohio State, and I think they're prepared for these tests against uh, Penn State and Michigan coming up. Uh, so really excited to see more out of them and, and how they respond from this win. But, um, you know, it was a hell of a game. It was a hell of a win for Ohio State. And um, I, they they showed me enough to, to make them my number one team in the country, at least for the time being. You know, like I've been saying, the, the top 10 right now is so close. We'll see a lot of reshuffling all season long. But a uh, great win for Ohio State. And I think they're firmly in the thick of this uh, college football playoff race, Big Ten East race, whatever you want to call it. Um, Ohio State's in the thick of it. And I think team should start over, stop overlooking them because they're for real. They're definitely a better team top to bottom than they were last year. Even though Kyle McCord isn't quite CJ Stroud, um, he has that dog in him. And I think Ohio State is built for a Big Ten title run this year. And now as we wrap up uh, recapping week four, I'll give out quickly my helmet stickers for the week. Um, and the first one's going to be the guy I just talked about, Kyle McCord. His stat line wasn't you know, gaudy by any means. He went 21 to 37 for 240 yards, but he did not have any turnovers. He had a 91 quarterback uh, QBR, and he on third down he was 10 of 13 for 155 yards and nine first downs. Um, like I said before, he had four huge completions on that final drive. Um, I mean he. He stepped up when they needed it most and, um, you know, went the length of the field in under two minutes. So it was a great game by Kyle McCord. Um, definitely proving Ryan Day uh, right that he made the right decision with the quarterback. Um, next, I'm going to stick with the offensive side of the ball, Wisconsin running back Braylon Allen. Um, you know, it's been kind of a slow start to the season for Braylon Allen. Um, he's one, easily one of the best running backs in the Big Ten. He's honestly, in some games, been kind of overshadowed by Ches Malusi, who unfortunately looks like he's going to go down for the season, um, you know, with a broken foot. 
But, you know, when he went down, Braylon Allen stepped up and he gashed uh, Purdue's defensive front. He had 116 rushing yards and two touchdowns on over seven yards per carry. Uh, great day for Braylon Allen. And then I'm going to give a Penn St- uh, I'm sorry, a helmet sticker to Penn State's whole defense. Um, because I didn't mention it before, just how utterly dominant they were. But, I mean, these numbers are ridiculous. They gave up 76 total yards. They held Iowa to 6 of 16 passing. They held them to 1.2 yards per carry. Held them to 1 for 9 on third down. Um, And Iowa only had the ball for 14 minutes and 33 seconds. Uh, And Iowa also had the same amount of first downs as they did turnovers with 4. So, I mean, you could not come up with a more defensive, uh, more dominant game um, that Penn State had. So, I mean, Iowa was on the field for such a short amount of time. Really, no particularly, no particular uh, Penn State defender had ended up with a really great stat line. So it was just, I mean, a, a great, great game of team defense. Um, so helmet sticker to them all. Um, then I'm going to jump back over to the offensive side of the ball. Give one to Illinois quarterback Luke Altmeyer. He put together his best game of the early season for Illinois. Went 25 of 36 for 303 yards and two total touchdowns. Um, as the Illini knocked off Florida Atlantic at home, uh, 23-17 to to move to 2-2 two and two on the season. And then I'll jump back over to the defensive side of the ball, give a helmet sticker to Nebraska safety Isaac Gifford. He had four tackles on the day, a uh, tackle for loss, a pass breakup, and the game-sealing interception for Nebraska as they knocked off Louisiana Tech 28-14 at home to also move to 2-2. Two and two. And then I'm going to give two helmet stickers to two Northwestern Wildcats. Uh, I mentioned them before, quarterback Brad Bryant, who uh, completed 66% of his passes for almost 400 yards and four touchdowns. Um, and his favorite wide receiver on the day, Bryce Kurtz, had 10 catches for 215 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, they were really electric in that fourth quarter um, where a lot of those yards came from for, for Bryce Kurtz um, and really dashed the hopes of the Gophers. So outstanding game by the two of them. And then for my final helmet sticker, it is going to go to Maryland safety Bo Braid. I uh, didn't really talk about that Maryland-Michigan State game, but Maryland beat Michigan State on the road 31-9. to It was definitely the most complete game defensively for the Terrapins, uh, forcing five turnovers from the Spartans. Uh, but Bo Braid was definitely the star, led everyone with 10 tackles. He had a tackle for loss and an interception as well. Um, and Maryland's looking great. Uh, through four games. They're in my top 25. They just missed out on the AP top 25, but with um, a game against Indiana, which should propel them to 5-0, they should be undefeated and ranked heading to Columbus in a couple weeks. Um, and you know, Talia has that Maryland offense humming. Uh, they scored over 30 points in their first four games, I believe for the first time in school history. So uh, that game in a couple weeks in Columbus should be a lot of fun. Um, but Bo Braid gets the helmet sticker for the Terrapins. So before I get into previewing uh, Week Five's slate of action, I do did want to do a little pulse check on the, the Heisman race because I haven't really talked about the Heisman yet. I think it's usually kind of silly to uh, in September when there's so much of the season to unfold. I mean, how many years have we had a clear favorite in September that ended up fail, uh, flailing out? Um, you know, I think immediately of Geno Smith who lit teams up for the first four games and then just kind of fell off a cliff. Um, but I feel like we have a the Heisman race is starting to take form 
a little bit earlier than um, usual. And right now, I have three clear top contenders. Um, all Pac-12 quarterbacks, believe it or not, that's a big reason why the Pac-12 is so strong this year. Um, that's Michael Penix as my clear front runner, um, and then Caleb Williams and Cam, Roar- Cam Ward kind of um, uh, jockeying for second. Um, but Michael Penix, he's completing 75% of his passes so far. He's tied with Caleb Williams for first in the country in yards per attempt at nearly 12. Again, that's ridiculous. 12 yards an attempt is just ridiculous. Um, he's leading the country with 16 passing touchdowns. He has only two interceptions, and he's averaging 409 passing yards per game. Um, I don't know how sustainable that is, but if he keeps those numbers going up, I think he wins the Heisman running away. Um, but Caleb Williams, you know, I don't think his stats are quite as gaudy as they were last year, um, but still good and still definitely Heisman worthy numbers. He's completing 74% of his passes, again, tied, tied with Michael Penix at nearly 12 yards an attempt. He has 18 total touchdowns. Um, and no, no interception so far. He is only averaging 240 pass yards per game, but you know, you got to figure that'll go up as they get into conference action. Uh, USC really hasn't been in a ton of tight games where he's had to throw the ball in the second half. And then finally, Cam Ward. He kind of came on with that big game against, um, against Wisconsin, but, uh, his game against Oregon State you know, propelled him right into the thick of the Heisman conversation. So on the year, he's completing 75% of his passes. He's averaging 9.9 yards per attempt. So right around 10, which is still a great pace. Um, definitely a little bit more sustainable than 12. I think he's got 16 total touchdowns, no interceptions. He's having 374. I'm uh, sorry. He's averaging 347 pass yards per game. He's averaging 27 yards on the ground. Um, but then, like I said, last week on the road, I mean, sorry, at home as an underdog against Oregon state, he completed eight. of his passes had 418 total yards and five touchdowns in a 38-35 win. Um, Just a a gutsy, gutsy game by him. And um, I think definitely good enough to propel him into the early, uh, as one of the early front runners for the Heisman. Um, But there are still plenty of guys in the race that have opportunities coming up to improve improve their resume and jump right into the conversation with Penix Williams and Cam Ward. Um, just the guys that I think of that are, you know, I guess I think most capable of getting into that conversation would be Bo Nix for Oregon. I'm also going to put Sam Hartman up there because his numbers are still just as good as anyone's throwing the ball. And he could have had his Heisman moment with that, um, go ahead touchdown drive against Ohio State, which obviously, um, Ohio State snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. But I mean, he's got plenty more opportunities to prove himself, um, you know, games against Duke and, and Syracuse and USC and Clemson. So, I mean, Notre Dame has one of the most difficult schedules in all of college football. So, um, I think if Notre Dame runs the table and Sam Hartman continues putting up the numbers he is, he's definitely going to at least be invited to New York. Um, but then Jaden Daniels for LSU. I think that, that season opening win against Florida State definitely hurts. Um, but like I said, I mean, everything's right in front of him. If he, if he wins out, goes 11 and one, gets to the SEC championship, um, you know, maintaining the numbers he does because he's one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the entire country. Um, he'll be right in there as well as Shadir Sanders, Sanders. He's, um, you know, still has gaudy numbers on the year despite that blowout win against uh Oregon and you know I don't think it's likely that Colorado ends up with 10-11 wins even 9 wins I feel like you know a 7 and 5 season is the most realistic thing for Colorado but 
who knows? I mean, if Colorado keeps upsetting teams, um, can kind of improve somehow from that blowout in Eugene, um, you know, Sanders is certainly going to be the first person uh, recognized as far as national awards. Um, if Colorado can kind of go on a run, finish in that near that top of that Pac-12 race, and you know, finish the season ranked, um, I think that's probably the the floor that Colorado needs to reach in order for Sanders to be considered for the Heisman. And then finally, Quinn Ewers, because I think a uh, a 13-0 season is definitely on the table for Texas. And, you know, when a team goes undefeated um, it's and their quarterback is as talented as Quinn Ewers, I think uh, making a bet on that player, at least getting invited to Heisman, to the Heisman ceremony, is always a good bet. Um, but I also have a couple dark horses, too, that I don't want to forget about. Um, the first, you know, might be a, a real big dark horse, but that's Fresno State Mikey Keene. Uh, right now, he's completing 75% of his passes. Uh, he's averaging 300 pass yards per game. He has 12 touchdowns and only two interceptions. Um, and do I think he has a chance of really winning the award? No. But uh, I think right now Fresno State is the clear best uh, non-Power 5 team. So if Fresno State can can run the table, and um, I don't think even if they go undefeated, I think the playoff is probably out of conversation for them. But um, if they can run the table and get to a New Year's Six game and, um, you know, he's you know, throws for what would it be close to 5,000 yards, um, I think Mikey Keene could could see an invitation to New York as some of these other guys fall off. Um, and then another big dark horse, and I think he's a dark horse because of how bad his team is, um, but who I talked about before, Minnesota running back Darius Taylor. He's a true freshman, um, and he only had one carry in week one, but he's still third nationally with 532 yards on the season. He's averaging over six yards per carry, and again, Minnesota likely won't win enough games for him to be recognized, but he's a true freshman. He should only get better as the season goes on, and if Minnesota can somehow turn things around and contend for that West um, for that West division. And he keeps up the pace he's going at, which is just, it's insane right now. He's averaging like 150 yards a game over the past three. Um, no more than that. Um, but if he keeps up this pace, I don't think a New York city invitation is out of the question for him, but you know, I think he and Mikey Keene are definitely dark horses. That's why I say that, but, um, they're definitely worth mentioning at this point in the season. Um, but I think the Heisman, I mean, this should be one of the most fascinating Heisman races we've had in quite some time. Um, and it's crazy that, you know, the winner almost seems to be a shoe in coming from the Pac-12. Um, if I had to pick today, I would definitely pick Michael Penix. But I think whoever wins the Pac-12 championship has a really good chance of having the Heisman winner as well. So um, I'll do a few more updates throughout the season, but um, that's the first look at kind of Heisman hierarchy. Michael Penix, Caleb Williams, and Cam Ward clearly at the top, but plenty of guys below them that have opportunities to, to throw their name into that ring as the season goes on. And now we can get into uh, previewing week five um, of the Big Ten season. So it's honestly kind of a a light slate this weekend. There's only seven games, but one of those games is Wagner at Rutgers. Um, There's not a line out for that. I doubt one will be released, maybe one close to game time. But I mean, Rutgers should win that by 30 plus. So that's kind of a a non-factor this weekend. Um, But you know, I'll get into... Again, the one game that I'm not going to include in my five locks is Penn State at Northwestern. Penn State's a 27.5 point favorite. Um, the over-under is set at 46.5. You can check out our official picks at thefloorslap.com, but not confident enough in that game to make it one of my locks. So by default, there's five other games. So those are where my locks are coming from. Um, so I'll talk about my picks as well as what I'm looking for uh, in those games. So the first game I want to talk about is the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns taking on Minnesota at noon. 
Um, so what I'm looking for out of Minnesota on the defensive side of the ball is really just some cohesion. There's not anything in particular I'm looking for on the defensive side of the ball. I'm just interested to see how they come out. Are they going to play with, you know, aggression and are they going to show, um, just play better team defense and show some cohesion because they just got chewed up last week against the Northwestern team that, you know, I want to give them all the credit in the world, but it's still not a very good team and their path past defense just got obliterated. And this is a very evenly balanced, uh, Louisiana offense they're playing so i mean how does their defense defense come out um and offensively i'm really interested to see how minnesota approaches this game um because are they going to start to finally just take the game out of ethan calic manis's hands you know not let him throw more than 15 passes a game start to use his legs more um and really just feed darius taylor until his legs fall off because you know he's a young true freshman he's healthy he can probably handle 35 carries or 35 touches a game and that's what that might be what Minnesota needs out of him moving forward. So I'm curious, do they try to shift their offensive identity to you just we're just going to ground and pound you to death? Or are they going to, you know, try to find ways to get Ethan Calic Manis some some easy passes, try to get him to build some confidence um, and just try to, I guess, play the waiting game with him and see, you know, how long does it take for him to, you know, finally click throwing the ball. So really curious to see what their offensive, um, I guess, scheme is coming into this game. Um, but as far as my pick, so this game opened at around nine and a half. Minnesota was the favorite and it ballooned all the way up to 12 and a half. Um, now it seems like it's settling down at around 11 and a half. Um, but it seems like Vegas thinks this game is going to be uh, pretty close and the public is leaning towards Minnesota, probably just based off of name recognition alone, I would imagine. Um, but I like Louisiana in this game. Uh, like I said, they are a really evenly balanced uh, offense. They're averaging 480 yards a game, about 200, 200, uh, 240 yards through the air and on the ground. Um and, you know, defensively, they're giving up fewer yards than Minnesota is. And I think this also comes a lot. This comes down to um, the mental game. Like, I mean, how, how does Minnesota recover from such a gut wrenching loss? I find it hard to believe that they're going to come out clicking. I think it's going to be a slow start. Um, you know, ultimately, Minnesota should be able to win in the trenches. They should be able to pull this win out. But I think it's going to be a tight game. I mean, Louisiana can score some points. I mean, they've scored uh, at least 31 points in all four of their games. Um, and I, I think their offense is better than Northwestern's, again, who just torched Minnesota. So uh, I'm really confident in that uh, plus 11.5. I would take it down to 10.5. Once you start getting below 10, um, I, I just, I'm not confident that it'll you know, be within 10, that confident will be within 10 points, but, um, seems to be sticking at 11 and a half. And I like Louisiana to cover that. Then I'm going to move to the Indiana, Maryland game. Um, for Indiana, I really want to see them run the ball with some sort of efficiency. I, I mean, I love Jalen Lucas, um, but Indiana has to run better than they have been. They're averaging eight, 108 yards rushing a game. And considering who they've played um, these last three games, I think that's unacceptable for them. Jalen Lucas is way too talented um, <clears throat> you know, to be held to 184 yards rushing at this point in the season. Um, and I think, you know, Maryland can be attacked on the ground. You know, their defensive line is still a work in progress. I think they are still a little bit vulnerable in the trenches. So I don't think Indiana should be totally outmatched there. They should be able to run the ball with some sort of efficiency. So that's what I'm really looking for out of them. And 
for Maryland, like they are clearly the fourth best team in the Big Ten right now. They're the only they're one of four um, undefeated teams, and I just am looking for a, a good team win. Like they are fourteen and a half point favorites in this game. They are decidedly better than Indiana at like every every single position group. There's no reason that this should be a really close game. Um, and I think this is just a, a good statement victory heading into Columbus, that big matchup. Um, in week six, um, I think Maryland needs to dispose of Indiana, um, and just kind of get some momentum heading into that Ohio State game. Um, and that being said, the, the line, like I said, is at 14 and a half. And uh, I like Indiana to, I mean, I'm sorry, I like Maryland to cover that. I think they dispose of Indiana. Um, you know, you can maybe call last week's performance against Akron, um, an aberration for Indiana, but, um, you know, I think Maryland is just a better team. I think they know where the goals are this year, and I don't think they're going to be looking forward to Ohio State. I think Mike Loxley has his team locked in. I think they're going to show up ready to play against Indiana. Um, I think they're going to beat them pretty easily. I love 14 and a half. I would take that, um, all the way up to 16 and a half with, with 100% confidence. And now I'm going to look at the Michigan State Iowa game. Um, and for Michigan State, I'm really looking at Noah Kim in this game because, I mean, I mean, the timing of this whole Mel Tucker situation is just terrible for Michigan State, having to play Washington right after that and then Maryland. And now those were their two home games. Now they go back on the road to play Iowa. You know that crowd is going to show up for that game. So I'm really looking at Noah Kim to see if he can kind of regain that composure that he showed through the first two games because he looked great against Central Michigan and Richmond. And then, you know, the wheels really fell off of Michigan State really quickly. So um, <clears throat> I'm looking at him to kind of to step up and kind of get some cohesion going with this offense again. And then Iowa, again, I'm purely looking at their offense, just uh, any sort of pulse. Like not, I mean, you know, whether it be with uh, Cade McNamara throwing the ball or getting back to running the ball, just um, I'm looking for them to score points. I mean, the over under for this game is set at 36 and a half, which is just absurd. Um, I mean, I'm tempted to go with the under in this game, but I also feel like Michigan State could put up some points against Iowa. Um, in, I, I'm not, I'm not feeling super confident in Michigan State's defense given their past two performances either. So, you know, if there is a game that Iowa's offense can finally, um, show up against, it could definitely be Michigan State. Um, so I, I don't love the over under for that reason. I could easily see this being a 13 10 game, but I could also see, um, both offenses kind of breaking through against mediocre opponents, which both of these teams are. Um, so I could see both of these teams hitting 20 somehow. So I don't love that over and under. Um, but the line for this game is set at 11 and a half. Um, no, I'm sorry, 12 and a half. Um, it's kind of gone up in favor of Iowa. And God, based off of what I saw last week, I just don't have confidence that they can beat anyone um, by more than 10 points. I mean, reminder, they beat Iowa State um, by seven points and Iowa State is not a good team this year. Um, in case you didn't know, um, you know, they, they got handled by, uh, Ohio University on the road. So, um, listen, I think this is going to be a really tight game. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if Michigan State wins. Um, and for that reason, I'm really confident with the, uh, the spread all the way up at 12 and a half. And like I said, I mean, I would take that down to 10 with a lot of confidence. This is going to be a tight game. My fourth lock, we're going to look at the Illinois and Purdue game. Um, Illinois is traveling to West Lafayette to take on the Boilermakers and Purdue's a one and a half point favorite, which really surprised me. Um, 
you know, they opened as favorites. I thought this game would at least come down to become a pick 'em. Um, but it seems to be um, staying pat at one and a half. And I really like Illinois. Um, I think, honestly, as far as, you know, talent on these rosters go and as far as these two quarterbacks go, it's really a toss up. Um, so usually I would favor the home team, but uh, I'm looking at the schedule for these two teams and kind of, and how, um, you know, the season has kind of played out for these two teams so far. I mean, Illinois got a chance to kind of get back on track against Florida Atlantic, and they did look a lot better for the most part against Penn State than they did against Kansas. I mean, their defense did at least. So I kind of feel like Illinois is starting to gain its footing um, entering the conference season. Um, and, you know, I just feel like, a, you know, a Brett Bielema coach team, I know what I'm getting out of them. And uh, the problem with Purdue is they still haven't really had that get right game. I mean, they just got throttled by Wisconsin. I know they're desperate for a win, um, but I mean, these last two games, they've just looked really, really bad against Syracuse and Wisconsin. And I think it's a tough ass to come in um, against another great defensive front like Illinois, um, another team that's going to really try to, to run the ball right down their throat like Wisconsin did. Um, it's a, it's a tough ask for them after those two tough losses to come on and come in and play a team like Illinois. Um, I think Illinois had their get right game last week and that's something, uh, Purdue desperately needs in order to kind of, to right this ship and they just haven't had an opportunity to do it. So, um, you know, I, I like Illinois to win this game, um, outright. So I'll definitely take the points and, you know, as long as that spread doesn't make like a four point swing, um, I'm going to ride with the Illini in this game. And my fifth and final lock, uh, we're going to travel to Lincoln, Nebraska for a game I'm actually really excited about, and that's Michigan at Nebraska. Um, and I'm excited because I think Nebraska may have turned a new leaf by turning to Henrik, uh, Heinrich Harburg at quarterback. He hasn't turned the ball over yet. He hasn't been phenomenal throwing the ball, but you know he can consistently hit open receivers you know within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage which was um you know a big ask for Nebraska in their first couple games um and he's been terrific running the ball you know he's been their leading rusher the past two games and Anthony Grant had a, a huge game last week as uh the Nebraska as Nebraska's new lead back um so this offense looks a lot more complete and it looks a lot more like um, I expected it to heading into this season. Um, you know, Jeff Sims just wasn't, he, he couldn't take care of the ball and his consistent and his accuracy was way too inconsistent. And, um, Heinrich Harburg kind of fixed both of those issues. And Nebraska has looked a lot better offensively the past two, uh, weeks. And their defense is still playing great. They're averaging 46 yards rushing on the ground, um, so far this season. So, um, for Michigan coming into this game, I'm really excited to see how their run game fares against Nebraska because their run game has not been great so far this season. Their offensive line has been good, but not elite. Um, they're definitely not gunning for another Joe Moore award the way they've been playing so far this season. Um, and, you know, they, I think they played a little bit better against Rutgers, but now they're going into what's going to be a really tough environment in Nebraska. And actually, the last time Michigan played at Nebraska was in 2021, um, you know, when the first college football playoff appearance. And um, they had to rally past Nebraska. Nebraska, They won only 32-29. to 29. Um, So I'm expecting the same type of game. I think Nebraska can really keep this close. Um, and then, you know, for Nebraska, I'm really keeping an eye on um, Heinrich Harburg, Harburg because this is a great test um, to see, you know, how much is he really elevating this team or has it just been weaker opponents? Um, that's kind of giving me this perception of Nebraska. Um, but the line for this game is uh, 17 and a half. 
Um, it hasn't really moved much. Seems like it's going to stick around there. As long as it's above 17, I really like Nebraska. I think they can keep this game um, within 17 points. Um, the over-under is at 40.5, which seems really, really low. But um, I guess I, I think it is fair to expect a, a defensive showdown in this game. Um, and my problem is, like, if Michigan can't run the ball consistently, listen, I mean, J.J. McCarthy is a good quarterback, but I, I mean, I still haven't seen anything this year that makes me believe that Michigan can win a game if they come out slinging it and he throws 40 passes. I don't think that's a recipe for success for Michigan. So, I mean, they need to run the ball in order to win a game. And that's Nebraska's strength. I mean, their defensive front has looked really, really good. So, um, I think Nebraska can keep us close. As long as this line stays at 17 or higher, uh, I'm really confident taking Nebraska to cover. And that's going to do it for the week five edition of the Floor Slaps College Football Podcast. As always, I've been your host, Sean. And listen, I really enjoy doing this every week. I'm a huge football fan, a huge Big Ten football fan. So I love sitting down every week and going on my little monologue. And I hope you enjoy listening along. Um, if you do, you know, please follow the Floor Slap podcast on Spotify or Apple. Give us a like um, and share the Floor Slap with a friend. You know, we have a website, uh, thefloorslap.com, where we post articles every week. And we also have a Twitter uh, at the floor slap where we post uh, more betting picks and more thoughts live reactions during games and all that good stuff so um, you know Jordan and I are doing our best to get the floor slap off the floor um, we're doing our best to deliver the best content possible to you guys so anyone and everyone that's out there listening I could not appreciate you more um, and make sure to follow us along you know the rest of the football season and you know the Big Ten basketball season uh, is starting here in just about a month so really excited to get that started too but hope you all can enjoy Enjoy a nice weekend of college football, and I will catch you all back here next week.